This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zara, whose mother was Tamar. Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab became the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David, the king. David became the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon became the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph. Asaph became the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Yoram, Yoram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah became the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian exile. After the Babylonian exile, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud. Abiud became the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok. Zadok became the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar. Eleazar became the father of Nathan, Nathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Thus, the total number of generations from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations. From the Babylonian exile to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. She had no relations with, he had no relations with her until she bore a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> Merry Christmas. I met a woman this morning who said, I hope you're going to read that genealogy of Jesus. It's my favorite Christmas reading. And I thought, I can die in peace. Because as some of you know, it is my favorite Christmas reading. Very often priests avoid it because I think maybe they don't understand it. Many of you know that is about as powerful a reading as you can get. So if you don't care about that reading or if you think, what is this ridiculous, and you're sitting here and you even just listen, 
and you say, this is, what is this? 14, 14, 14 generations, except it's not 14, 14, 14. When you count them up, it's not at all 14, 14, 14. It's almost like the author is telling you from the get-go, this is not what you think it is. A genealogy in the ancient Near East is a form of literature that's nothing like our modern scientific historical genealogies, where you really work very hard to try to know exactly who was the parent, the parent, the parent. An ancient Near Eastern genealogy is meant to tell a story about important truths in people's backgrounds. And for Christians who believe that that genealogy was written uniquely under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the question is, how is God using that passage to tell us things that God wants us to know about our human background? If you spend any time, and if you're going to be with people you don't like on Christmas, you can say, hey, i got to go take a break because i got to go learn up on that genealogy, and you can go to the other room. When you read that genealogy and you actually just think about who these people are, in there, there are some people, so it's from Abraham, whom Jewish and Christian people call our father in faith, through whom God reaches out into this world to offer the people, the fallen human race, the way back to God, through King David, the all-important king of Israel, to whom God promises he will give him a kingdom that will last forever up to Jesus. You read it, and you see some people, beginning with Abraham, who are genuinely holy people. They're people who come to know God, who listen to God, who really struggle and do put God's love into practice in all the struggles of life. There are people in there who are very godly leaders, reformers, and just friends, people who are really instruments of God in other people's lives. But that's not most of the people in there. When you continue to read, you see that there are people, the scripture gives us details about how ungodly they are. They are. They're people who in there who make choices repeatedly to be idolatrous, to be conniving, to be plotting, to be bloodthirsty. There are people in there who kill other people who are innocent. There are people in that list who are absolutely corrupt leaders when they know better. There are people who are adulterous. There are people who are prostitutes in there. There are people in there who are incestuous, incestuous, and none of these people is from New Hampshire. Oh, save me the email. I'm sorry, I apologize, it was a joke. It is the down and dirty human race from the fall of humanity until the time of Jesus. There are people in there who are mixed. There are some people in there who are quite sinful, but they do some virtuous things. There are people who try to do well, but they're very weak. And then there are people listed in there, we know nothing about who they are. That's humanity. That's how God sees us. That's who we really are, that whole mix. You could read that passage, hear that passage, and say, actually, no, I do find that interesting, because that's the way I see the world. There are some really good people on this planet. There's some really good people in this city, but there's a lot of really horrific stuff that goes on. People are mixed. It's probably always been that way, and it probably always will be that way. That is a completely correct observation until what happens at the end of that genealogy. 
genealogy, the, the gene, genealogy of Jesus in Greek, it's the book of Genesis, literally, the book of the origin, the book of Genesis, as in the first book of the Bible. The God who created this world, everything out of nothing, everything therefore a surprise, continues to completely love us, fallen sinful human beings, throughout all of that history, all of the history of God's chosen people. God makes promises, like that key promise to David, God never does not fulfill God's promises. God, through all of it, loves. And so, bang, at the end of the 14, 14, 14, everything once again becomes new. 14 plus 14 plus 14 equals 42. Every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a number assigned to it, so numbers can have important meaning. The word David, if you add up the numeric value of each letter, is 42. The promise to David of God's kingdom forever. 42 divided by 6 equals 7, which means perfection. 42 divided by 7 equals six, as in six days. In that genealogy, the seventh day becomes the recreation of the sinful fallen world. Man becomes the father of man, becomes the father of a man, becomes the father of a man, bang, and then it stops and there's a woman. God intervenes in the wife of that genealogy, a person named Joseph, and God does what no one ever expected. God becomes a human being. The reason we're here celebrating tonight is that in the fullness of time, 2,000 years ago, for real, what our Jewish ancestors had been waiting for generations for salvation, but there is nobody on the planet who ever expected what God would do. The eternal God became a human being. Jesus Christ is the eternal God who through the power of the Holy Spirit of God enters this fallen sinful world as the final day of God's creation to recreate the human race. Completely something out of nothing, a complete surprise. Jesus Christ came to this world 2,000 years ago as God's final day, the perfect day for you, for us, in all of our fallenness, all of our sinfulness, to save us from that mess and to make it possible for us to become what we originally were, people who love God, who love one another, and who love ourselves. So just a couple notes for you. If you happen to be a person who really does feel that this world, in all of it, what is wrong with this world is more evident today, arguably because of modern communications, more evident to more of us than ever. If you think this world, or this country, or this city, or your family, or your marriage, or your life is just hopeless, you are wrong. You have a savior, Jesus Christ, 
who wants to be reborn in you and wants to grow in you? This is the very obvious. The Savior of the world is a person. He gives us writings. He gives us teachings. He gives us all sorts of very direct teachings about how to live. But fundamentally, he's a person. What was breathed into you from the moment you were baptized, if you're baptized, was Jesus Christ. He wants you to get to know him, whether you know him not at all or you know him a lot, only more and more. He, the person Jesus, wants you to love him, to learn from him, and to live in him, and me all the same, obviously. It's a person. So to the many of you in this community who come here week after week, which is almost all of you, and are here in the very real world of Lawrence, trying to get to know Jesus more, trying to receive him more through the sacraments, and getting out into the streets of the city to put his love into practice, blessed are you, and thank you. I've never lived in a community in my very long life with more people who are sincere disciples of Jesus Christ, who get to know the person and put his love into practice to change this city for him, through him. If you're a person who's absolutely new to this, if you are cynical, if you're not sure what you believe, I really invite you to join us, to just come, just for this season even. The Christmas season goes until January 8th this year. It's a season of real grace, of the rebirth of Jesus within us. I invite you to come and to try to be part of that, even if you don't understand it, and to see what he does. I'll give you one last note. Many of you know this. We talked about it at certain other masses. Just to tell you, particularly if you don't know him, how real he is. So we announced this week in our parish, we have a beautiful school down the street, Lawrence Catholic Academy, in a city in which education can seem hopeless, we have 475 children who do clean up well, who are learning about Jesus and are being educated from pre-K through grade eight as Catholics to live in him and get out into the world to do his work. So it's a great school in terms of teachers, curriculum, children, finances even, and it's a school with buildings that are going into the ground. They're woefully inadequate for the education that our children need today, and they're woefully inadequate for the future. If those buildings remain as is, they will shut down within the next 15 or 20 years. Any of you who have been in these buildings know that. We announced this week that we're going to build completely new facilities for Lawrence Catholic Academy. Seems impossible be the first time in more than half a century in the Archdiocese of Boston that an urban Catholic school would be built from the ground up just seems unlikely given the state of the world and the economy of the city. So we're gonna build a completely new school on the parking lot behind the current schools, school so children can remain in the buildings. Then we will move them into the buildings, demolish the buildings that exist, and build a recreation center there that's connected. So to do this, which would seem like Jesus 101, how likely is that? It's gonna cost $30 million. And we announced this week, we have raised $28 million.
TikTok is not the end of reality. Jesus Christ is the end of reality. There are thousands of people in this community and beyond who have gotten to know him, take seriously what he teaches, and sacrifice to do it. Completely new, completely surprising, completely real. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.